Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. Uh, this week, we're talking to Anatoly or Toli Zavz... <laughs> Zaslavsky. Zaslavsky. Oh, I feel better now. Okay, there we go. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Um, yeah, you are on episode 358 of JavaScript Jabber. We talked about Pickle.js tooling and developer happiness. Yep. Uh, what else should people know about you? Hmm. I guess uh, I work for a really cool company called Hover. We make 3D visualizations of houses. And um, what I'm starting to do at Hover is kind of the front end infrastructure. So building all the common components, uh, reference architectures, trying out technologies. Uh, yeah, that's what I do. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like a really cool job because <laughs> you yeah. get to do all the visualization stuff and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this show is about your story and just talking about how you got into coding and how you got to where you are now. Um, and, and I'm really curious just to jump in and talk about it. How did you get into programming? Uh, I guess it really depends on what you define as programming. I was into computers like since I was seven years old and then I did like a lot of, you know, little scripting here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, like I remember it was probably middle school, but I started programming on my TI-83, if you can call that programming. Uh, then I got like into Visual Basic and uh, I was really into the show Avatar The Last Airbender. And oh, great show. Yeah. Uh, but there was like a whole um, online community about it. And then there was this kind of rift in the community. And I ended up uh, sort of creating uh, an alternative uh, one uh, on MediaWiki and PHPBB. And then I was like, well, I want to learn how I could, you know, make more customizations to it. So I started learning more PHP. And uh, I guess that's when I would say I officially started really programming nice that that reminds me of the stories i get where it was well i was building a website for my band <laughs> yeah right mm -hmm. and then yeah and then it turns into and then i yeah i i, I just kept doing it because i liked it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep except your version is nerdier so. <laughs> yeah also like in high school um we had this really well-funded uh, yearbook department um, I think we received something like a quarter million dollars a year. So we got oh, wow. coolest equipment, like uh, Nikon D3s, $6,000 printers. 
And one day I said like, hey, uh, can we buy a server and uh, just have like a custom process uh, for uh, all the photos, for all the mm -hmm. uh, articles? So I set up MediaWiki. I set up, uh, what was it, Coppermine Picture Gallery, I think it was. Okay. Um, and uh, then I basically just like edited it um, uh, and made extensions to it to really make our whole editorial process much easier. Uh, then I started writing like little PHP scripts to handle all the other stuff that the yearbook department did. Uh, right. Like uh, had this, um, uh, we were in charge of the prom and uh, other events. So I made this really cool app where you would just swipe your student ID and you would be able to choose your table uh, where you sit. And oh, you nice. see all your friends. And it was just really great uh, because I could do all these things with so little code and it was just like all logic. And I loved PHP back then. Um, uh, I remember uh, making, discovering uh, XML uh, requests, uh, uh -huh. whatever Ajax was called back then. And back then I would just call uh, to get a PHP uh, HTML page and then I would replace whatever I needed with that HTML page instead of getting JSON. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I remember doing that and then doing like inner HTML updates with jQuery and things like that. Yeah, exactly. I was really happy when jQuery came along cause it made everything so much easier. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, my stuff's not broken anymore. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah. So you get into uh, doing all of this uh, web development stuff with PHP. Um, did you go on to get like a computer science degree or did you move up through the ranks just kind of working through things or how, how did you move ahead from there? So after high school, uh, I went to NYU and uh, I was studying computer science there, uh, but it was not what I expected because I learned like all of these practical applications of what I could do with PHP right. um, in the real world. And here I was like learning about binary trees and big O notation. I was like, when would I ever use that? Um, well, it turns out that eight years later, uh, nine years later, uh, finally I do have a use for it since I'm getting like more into computational geometry and uh, right. stuff. But for eight years, I did not use anything that I learned that one year in uh, college. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's funny because I have a brother that's going through a computer science program right now, and and yeah, he's like, so what should I be learning that's going to help me most of my career? And I said, learn to work with other people. Yep. <laughs> right. And he's like, well, what about all this stuff? You know, I'm learning all these algorithms and things, and I'm like, yeah, those are all nice to have. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think like it's useful for getting the job, like if you're applying to Google or something, but. Yeah. Uh, you could just like uh, go on one of those sites, which gives you uh, example problems. And uh, I think it's like $30 a month. One of my roommates was using it just yeah. a few months in your set. Yeah. I have one of those that I like. It's called interview cake. And yeah, you just go in and work through all the little courses on each one. And yeah, it, you get through it pretty fast and you're, yeah, you come out of it understanding big O and yeah, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. All that stuff that I've forgotten since I got my computer engineering degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little longer than nine years though for me. But 
Anyway, um, I, I am curious then. So you did you, you finish your degree in computer science? How did you I did you wind up? You didn't? No, I just uh, did one year at NYU, and mm -hmm. uh, then I got this offer from uh, what was it called? MDA, uh, which was a medical company. Okay. I was basically uh, building their WordPress site. And I was like, well, this is about what I would be making if I finished NYU, so might as well uh, just get on with it now. Yep, fair enough. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into doing JavaScript then? Well, let's see. Uh, I was doing PHP for a few years, um, and then I uh, got a call from a recruiter, and they said, like, hey, do you want to work for the Wall Street Journal? And I was like, whoa, that sounds like a fun opportunity. Uh, what would I be doing there? Uh, I know some PHP and they're like, well, we need help with data visualization. Do you know any of that? Uh, I didn't, but they said, fine, good enough. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> do you know how to do what we want? Nope. Good. You're hired. Yeah. And anyways, um, it actually worked out quite well because everyone in the department was a really good reporter, but not a really good programmer. Um, and you know, they were doing data visualization, but basically they were doing it as if they were more artists, designers, reporters, not so much, uh, like from the logic organization side. So, um, I kind of came in there and I started learning all these technologies like D3, uh, backbone, uh, node. And, uh, I basically just started, uh, really organizing how Wall Street Journal uh, did their data visualizations. Um, and I really, really liked it. Uh, it was so much better than doing uh, this PHP work because I could see instant results. And um, yeah. Um, so eventually I uh, got a call from a recruiter who got me into the Federal Reserve of New York. And they were basically poaching people from the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, mm -hmm. and I got to uh, basically work on data visualization for them for a while. Right. And uh, I was part of this bigger uh, group, which was called the Common Components uh, Group. And basically they were building sort of the common architecture uh, for uh, all the front end applications. Basically everyone was just kind of used to writing everything in uh, Java and yeah, pretty much just Java. And they were like, let's bring in a few startup people to like really spice things up. So back then we were using Backbone.js and uh, I had, you know, some free cycles and they said, hey, do you want to make some components in Backbone.js? So I wrote like this entire framework uh, for uh, doing uh, reporting applications. Um, it was actually a really cool framework. Um, I think it got used on a few different applications. Uh, and yeah, it was really great at dealing with uh, just these enormous API libraries uh, where uh, you just had various uh, data sets and you needed to, uh, you know, query them in various ways, display them in a table, sort through them, edit them. Uh, yeah, that's how I got into front end. Nice. So, uh, so yeah, you've been doing front end, but it sounds like you're doing things that are a little bit different from what most people do on the front end. Uh, yeah. I mean, what I always enjoyed uh, was more of the infrastructural work. 
Um, I was working at a few companies as more of a product uh, engineer, uh, but it was never quite appealing to just like build features. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what happened at my current job, uh, I was hired to uh, work on some uh, features uh, and I was, I was kind of miserable. And I guess one thing uh, I should probably say about my story, um, I have bipolar disorder. Okay. Um, and this was actually a turning point in my life. Uh, bipolar disorder, uh, basically it has two phases. It has a manic phase and a depressive phase. And during the depressive phase, what would happen to me is I would just get extremely demote, uh, demotivated. Uh, I would basically uh, just do the minimal possible work. And a lot of times I would just quit my job and just do nothing for a few months, uh, just be locked up in my room. And during the manic phases, um, it would start out great. I would be really great at my job. I'd be producing like all this work. Everyone's like, whoa, like here's a whole bunch of uh, new responsibilities. Um, But every time I would eventually uh, run out of energy and just have a crash. And suddenly I'm in charge of all these different things. And, uh, you know, I have zero energy to work on them. so for a while, uh, that was really messing with the progression of my career. Um, but however, it was the first time that I told my boss, uh, that, Hey, I, uh, have bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that it happened, I actually, um, ended up taking a two month medical leave. And when I came back, uh, you know, I had to say something, I guess. Right. And, uh, you know, I thought I would get fired or, uh, you know, not really to receive much support. Uh, but actually the company was extremely, extremely supportive. And we kind of like, uh, walked through all of my triggers, all of the things that, uh, helped me, all the things that distract me. And they put me in a position which turned out to be, really great, both for myself and for the company. Um, We basically figured out that uh, I'm not really that great at feature work. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's something that like very quickly demotivates me and depresses me, but I really enjoy working on this more infrastructural architectural work. So they started throwing me all these projects uh, like Pickle.js. I did an episode on that was one of them. Um, which is basically making software for engineers. Uh, And uh, it just really changed my career. It turned everything around. That's awesome. And it's interesting too, because it seems like uh, some companies, um, they, they just don't really get it, right? It's, you know, you've got this engineer and they, you know, they are this resource that, they're supposed to be producing X, Y, and Z. And if they're not producing X, Y, and Z, then we got to get rid of them and find somebody else. And in reality, it's like, Hey, you know, let's sit down, let's figure out, okay, what are we dealing with here? How do we make this work for both of us? And, and then you get this person that's actually driven to, <laughs> to do what you need done. 
And on the other side, you know, that they're happy. They're happy working with you. You're happy working with them. I mean, it's, it's a win-win all around. And a lot of these companies, they're just looking for a pair of hands that will, you know, essentially crank out code and it just doesn't work that way. Exactly. Yeah. I think, uh, I think your case is an extreme case, but I think this is true of just about everybody is yeah. you've got to find that thing that clicks with people. Absolutely agree with that. Um, it's actually uh, something that we're trying to do a bit more uh, in the organization. One of my coworkers uh, suggested a rotational program where you would uh, work on different teams and in different chapters. So say for example, I'm a front end engineer, mm -hmm. perhaps I would want to uh, spend a few weeks learning Ruby and uh, get some backend skills. Right. Um, I think it takes quite a while. Like it took me uh, eight or nine years to really figure out what it is that I'm good at and where I thrive. Um, but it doesn't have to take that long if a rotational program is in place. Yeah, that makes sense too. And for the most part, I mean, I remember my first full-time job as a programmer, well, after working for the consultancy, which was, you know, they, they essentially just hired me out. My first job was at a consultancy. And then after that, I went and I worked for uh, an education lead gen company, right? And, uh, you know, the back end was Ruby and the front end was JavaScript. And, you know, we did all kinds of stuff. This was back in the jQuery days, right? Backbone was kind of a thing that we started adopting before I left. Mm -hmm. But what turned out to be the real hang up and the thing that I spent a ton of time spinning my wheels on was figuring out how lead gen works, right? It wasn't Ruby. It wasn't how their application was architected because we were building a greenfield project. It was quite literally how the heck is all of this work in the industry so that we can best take care of it. And it's the same thing everywhere else, right? So people complain too that, well, I, you know, I can't hold on to people or, you know, whatever. And it turns out that, well, they weren't really happy where they were, but you had another spot you could put them, <laughs> right? And, and cross train them. And then they still hold on to all that institutional knowledge that pays off for you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that I bring a lot more value doing something I like uh, versus something I don't like. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's partly due to my condition, but definitely I've seen other engineers who uh, don't have conditions and certainly perform better when they're interested. Yeah. Oh, I do for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, um, I think it's a human nature thing, but, um, a lot of people call it the entrepreneur's dilemma, right? You work on something for a while and then you get bored and you go looking for something else to work on and you neglect all the things that are important. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very human, right? It's like, yeah. oh, well, I'm not interested in this anymore. I've kind of mastered it. So I want to move on to something else. But the thing that you've mastered is the thing you got to keep working at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Um, my friend actually has uh, this theory that there are three basic types of development. There's sort of this R&D where you try things out mm -hmm. and what works. And an example of that is sort of what I'm doing right now where I'm seeing like, hey, is Apollo uh, the right uh, solution for our company? Is X state uh, something that we want to use? Um, right. Yeah. And then there's sort of the second kind, which is building uh, the infrastructure, uh, which I'm kind of doing as well. 
Um, and that is more, okay, we've decided we want to use Apollo. Now, how do we architect a framework which everyone else can use? Right. Uh, yeah. And then the third type is more feature development. And that is, all right, we have our infrastructure in place and we know how we're going to do things. Now let's actually go ahead and do them. And the thing is, uh, there are people in our company who are very good at uh, one or more of those uh, things. Like um, I have this coworker, uh, Brett, he's amazing at the third type, which is feature development. He's super organized, he's super on task, he's um, really great at breaking things down, seeing uh, like what a user wants, and then building on top of the existing infrastructure. And then you have people like me who just like to play around with things. Yep. So I, I guess, I mean, the reason that I'm doing this is because I want to give people the opportunity to hear somebody's story and go, hey, they're kind of like me. And I really identify with what they've gone through. And, you know, my interjections have mostly been pointed at the employer saying, don't be dumb. But if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're having some, some issues with your employment, some of it due to some potential mental health issues like depression or bipolar or, you know, something else. Um, how do you recommend people go about dealing with it? I mean, is it, is it generally safe to talk to your boss? Do you wish you had done that sooner or are there other better ways of, of figuring things out first or, or what do you, what, what do you recommend? So, um, during those two months, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, was I going to talk to my boss? Was I going to uh, kind of just keep it vague? Was I just going to go ahead and find another job and, you know, uh, get it over with? And I was pretty convinced that nobody would want to hire someone with bipolar mm -hmm. uh, just because it seems like who would want to hire someone who's this unreliable and this up and down. Right. Uh, but then I talked to one of my friends uh, who is uh, one of the better engineers that I know. And he said like, totally in Silicon Valley, if you're a senior engineer, you can get away with just about anything. Like you don't realize how valuable a senior engineer is in Silicon Valley. Right. And it's absolutely true. Like maybe if I was in another profession, like a truck driver, uh, I wouldn't have this amount of latitude, but I happen to be very lucky uh, that I'm in this profession. And I think that people who are in the same boat, uh, they should realize that as engineers, they have a lot more latitude uh, than they think they do. That's true. That's true generally everywhere too. It's, I mean, a lot of people need developers. I have people coming to me all the time. How do I find a senior guy or a senior girl? And the reality is, is it's, you know, it's like, look, well, you got, Hey, you got to know what you want. And then, you know, you got to go be where those people are and then hire them. But yeah, it's there. There's so much opportunity out there and you really can. And even if your situation is such to where you need a little bit more um, downtime or remote work or things like that, I mean, if you've got the skills, I mean, what they're looking for is they're looking for results. And so if you can give them the results they want, then it doesn't matter if, well, I deal better with my particular brand of uh, mental illness and we're all kind of 
I don't want to say messed up, but we all have issues, right? And so I deal better with my issues, you know, be they something you can diagnose or something you cannot mm-hmm. by working at 4 a.m. They don't care. They want the results, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the results may be you got to interface with the team sometimes. But, yeah, that's, okay. that's absolutely true. Yeah. But there are definitely so many uh, tweaks that an employer can make to your career to make things easier. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, here are some uh, tweaks that uh, were made for my uh, job. Um, when I'm in a manic phase, uh, I tend to get very, what's the word, overactive uh, in meetings, especially when I'm talking to clients, talking to product managers. I just start to come up with these crazy, you know, completely abstract ideas, uh, which make me come off as a lunatic. So perhaps during those phases, I shouldn't be in meetings. Um, This is something that definitely uh, freaked people out in the past, but such a simple solution, don't put me in meetings. Um, Another thing is uh, the type of work uh, that I do, obviously. Um, So I just happen to not find uh, feature work very interesting. Well, that's fine. There's lots of different things in the company that are not feature work. Um, I, I also have uh, Asperger's. Um, so I may not be the best communicator. Uh, and that's why they decided to uh, pair me um, with other engineers. Uh, another thing is I tend to not stay on task quite as well um, as especially uh, during uh, my depressive phases because of the lack of motivation. Right. Well, uh, basically for the last few months I've been pair programming with other developers and it's just been probably the best results of my life uh, because I tend to be really great at executing uh, specific tasks. If you ask me like, all right, uh, this is the general architecture that we want. We want to accomplish this purpose. I'm great at uh, coding that out. But the problem is um, I easily go off on tangents where I would say like, hmm, I'm really interested in, uh, I don't know, uh, making the CSS library like the most perfect CSS library that it could possibly be. And then I would spend a month working on a CSS library while my job is to uh, do that and 15 other uh, tasks. Mm-hmm. So having this other engineer with me is great uh, because they can say like, hey, uh, this is good enough. Let's move forward uh, and do something else. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, uh, so um, a lot of it is defining, you know, what a senior engineer is. And I've been at a lot of companies where people are like, wow, you're doing a great job. Why don't you become a team lead or become a team manager or, you know, get some sort of responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's the general track. And the thing is not everyone is cut out to be a manager and not everyone is cut out to be a lead. And in my case, not everyone is, even cut out to do things on their own and sort of be in charge of specific tasks. Uh, there's, I used to have a lot of shame uh, to admit those kinds of things mm-hmm. uh, because 
pretty much the definition of a senior engineer in the industry is someone who can uh, take a task and run with it. But uh, that's just not the kind of person that I am. I have great skills when it comes to that implementation side of it, but I do not have the skills when it comes to the organization side of things or the leadership side. That makes sense too. And it's interesting because I think a lot of folks see the making you the team leader, whatever, as not just a, a natural progression, but almost as a reward. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, by moving you up, they may not be doing you a favor, even though they think they're doing you a favor. It's not just a, Oh, well, you're the next guy in line, but it's, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to do you a solid and move you up. Exactly. I mean, that's just sort of how corporate America works. Like you get promoted to manager. Mm -hmm. Yep. So are there things that you dealt with um, through your journey that I just wouldn't even think to ask about? Because I find that, you know, for some things it's like, you know what, this is kind of a general human thing. And then for other things, you know, like bipolar, I mean, I, I sort of, I've, I've had a few friends that are bipolar, so I sort of academically understand mm -hmm. what they go through, but I don't actually know what it's like. And I don't know what it's like to, you know, have to work around it or work with it, depending on how you look at it during your career. Um. So probably another thing that I forgot to mention is the consistency factor. Uh, when you're working on uh, features, a lot of times you have deadlines. And uh, you know deadlines are very important. However, not everyone works well with deadlines. For some people, it really fuels them, uh, kind of puts a fire uh, under them to get things done. For other people, it just stresses them out. And uh, I've been in so many situations where I started working on a project, I'm doing extremely well on it, and then I just run out of energy. Um, not everyone has uh, that level of consistency, especially with mental disorders. But there are so many projects which don't require that level of consistency and don't really have strict deadlines. For example, uh, right now I'm working on common uh, front-end uh, architecture. Uh, if we have it, you know, one or two months later than uh, expected, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, I'm one of those people where I get a deadline and I just get my motor going. Right. So, and there are a lot of people like that. Yep. And I think, I think it's good also just to highlight the fact that everybody kind of works differently. They're motivated, motivated by different things. They get excited about different things and you kind of need that in the organization as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. I think um, in the future, uh, there will be a lot more studies on how individual uh, people work. Uh, I think we're still running a lot like a factory uh, type of mm -hmm. uh, organization where everyone is just a machine and everyone does exactly the same thing. It's how our education system works. It's how our uh, jobs uh, work. It's how college works. Uh, nothing is customized for individuals. Um, but if you really want to get the most uh, out of people, you don't treat them like a machine. You treat them as someone who has a very uh, distinct configuration. Yep. I, I agree. I think, though, also we have to keep in mind, because we, we, I, I, 
I'm with you in that I tend to say, you know what, the, the way that we do things is kind of antiquated and built on old mm-hmm. ideas, right, with the factory idea and things like that. Um, but that is also a very well understood uh, set of conditions. And so I understand why people stick with them. The other thing is, is that technology has really come to the point where we can actually do that kind of customization, right? Or we can customize your space. We can customize how you work. We customize how you interact with people um, much more than we could 30 years ago. And so that that's also a factor, right? And so uh, a lot of people, they get super down on it. And really what it is, is it's just, hey, look, everybody needs to kind of sit down and, you know, look up and see where things are heading and then think of a new way to do it. Not that the other way was necessarily wrong, but there's a better way now. Exactly. So do you have any things that you've built that you're particularly proud of that you think, Oh gee, this was a really cool project. It doesn't have to be famous. It doesn't have to be uh, open source even, you know, whatever could be, you know, some little project you built when you were first learning or it could be something you're working on now. Sure. Um, let's think. Right now, I'm actually working on a few interesting things. Uh, probably uh, the most useful uh, one to front-end engineers would be our new styling system. Uh, so we use styled components, uh, which is already pretty great. But we kind of implemented a system to have common uh, colors, common margins, common sizes. Uh, a lot of times you have your designers hand you, uh, mockups and they have like, this size is 32 pixels. This size is 33 pixels. And there's just no consistency, uh, across uh, different projects. Um, so we, uh, just told our designers like, Hey, uh, think of maybe six or seven, uh, sizes, uh, that you want to work with and, uh, call them extra small, small, large, etc. Right. Uh, and basically, we have a system where uh, in our styled component, uh, we just put color and the name of the color, uh, the predefined color. It works with TypeScript, so you automatically uh, get a little dropdown of all your possible colors. Uh, same thing for sizing, spacing, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, and it just makes much cleaner code. Uh, so then on top of that, we... Uh, sort of built this common box component uh, where we just define uh, very common things like I want this uh, box to have a margin top of extra small. I want it to have a background color of this. And you just add it as React properties. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to open source it uh, once we're finished. Uh, but so far it's the simplest uh, system that we found. Uh, We tried X styled, which was pretty nice. But this is sort of a typed version of X-Styled. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, we've been playing around a lot with uh, GraphQL Apollo. Uh, definitely a great system uh, for querying your backend. We've been uh, doing a pilot of using Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, How's so- that going? It's still in its very early uh, phases, uh, but it seems extremely promising. Um, The big problem we have in our organization is we have uh, four DevOps people compared to 70 or so engineers. And uh, 
for even the smallest uh, things, like this morning we needed to add a uh, pours rule to our uh, S3 bucket. It just takes an extremely long time uh, because DevOps is backlogged, and understandably so. But with Kubernetes, uh, we could basically just uh, write our own little Helm file, and it kind of defines everything that we need uh, from the load balancers to the rules to the routing. Right. Just works. And the goal eventually is to have all of our front end engineers be able to write a Kubernetes configuration and even write their own little kubeless uh, functions, which is Kubernetes version of uh, Lambdas, and make little prototypes of whatever they need. Uh, I think the point of DevOps is to enable uh, programmers uh, to do whatever they need, not to act as a barrier, and that's basically what Kubernetes uh, aims to accomplish. Nice. Yeah. I. I keep hearing good things about it. I've heard a lot of people say that it's not quite ready yet um, for, you know, for that kind of a thing. I think it just depends on, you know, where you're at and what you, you know, what, what you, what you're capable of, what your background is, what, you know, but yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And I think that's a direction that we're going to see more and more things go. Um, we're actually starting, well, we're re relaunching or rebooting a DevOps show here within the next few weeks. So, um, folks should keep an eye out for that. We'll be talking about a lot of that kind of thing as well. That's awesome. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that uh, there's sort of this conception of Kubernetes not really uh, being fully baked for the general public. Um, it's, it's pretty hard to use. Uh, those configuration files are pretty massive. There's a lot of boilerplate. And honestly, I think a lot of this co uh, configuration could be abstracted away. Mm -hmm. um, one of the projects that I hope to do is an abstraction on top of uh, our uh, Kubernetes uh, framework where we could just define very simple things uh, such as I need a storage system, I need uh, three, uh, uh, I need a node server with uh, 3x parallelization or custom uh, uh, scaling. I need a uh, nginx server which has these rules. Right. Um, essentially, just boil it down to the essentials uh, of what you could possibly need. And I've seen a few different projects kind of attempt to do that, but nothing uh, that's really user friendly. Yep. Well, and it's a problem we've been trying to solve for a long time, just with the general. Um, I have a server, go set it up, you know, go provision it mm -hmm. or, you know, go to the cloud and provision me a new one of these. Um, it, it never quite got to the point where it was completely seamless. Right. I actually really like uh, Docker Compose. It's much simpler uh, than uh, Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't do most of the things you can do uh, with Kubernetes with it. Uh, I've seen uh, a library. Let me try to look it up. Uh, Kubernetes uh, convert. Compose. Uh, it's called Compose with a K. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, it takes your Docker Compose and kind of converts it into the Kubernetes uh, YAMLs. Right. Um, I think something along those lines is probably going to be uh what wins out cool yeah 
another thing is um, we've been having a lot of conversations about microservice uh, architectures. So we have uh, a lot of uh, different services, and the problem is nobody really understands uh, right. like what all these are, what the interfaces are, what the schemas are. Um, so there are a few efforts to uh, try to solve some of these problems. Uh, GraphQL is uh, certainly one of them, uh, where you have this predefined schema, this predefined uh, documentation uh, of all of your endpoints. Uh, and also we want to use uh, the open API standard for our REST calls. So that's one discussion that we've been having. Uh, another uh, interesting idea that one of my colleagues uh, had is sort of a message broker. Uh, so I'm sure you're familiar with sort of the pub sub uh, architecture, like with SNS. Uh, yeah. So um, basically, what this idea is, is designing a GUI where you can uh, use the PubSub architecture to have different services uh, talk to each other dynamically. So say, for example, I have a image converter, which converts images from whatever size to 200 by 200. Uh, I know that it accepts JPEGs and it outputs, we call them normalized JPEGs. Um, well, Theoretically speaking, they could be plugged into any part of the flow that needs a normalized image. And um, say, for example, there is uh, a service that outputs a JPEG, and then another service which accepts uh, a JPEG. We could just drop in uh, that service in the middle. And the two uh, services that output and accept a JPEG don't really need to know about each other. Uh, as long as the schemas kind of match, uh, should be fine. Um, another thing that is very common uh, problem in microservice architectures is uh, schema mismatches. So uh, one service talks to another one, but the API version is off, or it didn't actually follow a, a schema that it was supposed to. We want to put a little interceptor uh, in every one of these uh, PubSub uh, actions. Mm -hmm. uh, it says like validate schema. If it doesn't validate, then either throw some error message to an error queue or um, you know, handle it, uh, give it to an error handler that's predefined. Uh, so it's a lot of conversations like these that are happening of, uh, these are big problems to solve. Uh, there are a lot of possible solutions um, but no one has really come up with a great generalized way to solve them. Yep. Well, it'll be interesting to see where we end up with a lot of it. For sure. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. Um, can we just go over to picks talk about uh, stuff that you want to shout out about? Uh, sure. Um, let's see. So, I've been playing around with this library called XState a lot. Uh, and basically, it's a um, state machine uh, which can be used in your React application. Uh -huh. uh, and it's really great because, especially for complex applications, you have all these different states flying around and you forget uh, to define what uh, different combinations might look like and what transitions uh, might look like. Here it sort of forces you to uh, define every 
possible combination uh, of states. Um, let's see, I had a list somewhere. There we go. Uh, another thing uh, that's pretty interesting is watermelon uh, DB. And it's something that works uh, both with web apps and React Native apps. Um, and it's kind of uh, abstraction uh, on, what is it called? Uh, whatever the uh, native uh, database uh, for the browser is. Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of allows you to do SQLite. Um, and it allows you to do uh, you know, common queries and uh, caching, and it has uh, this observer uh, pattern, which I really like. Uh, and probably another thing uh, that I would uh, shout out to it is not a library, but it's a, a common architecture style, which is starting to become popular, uh, monorepo. So usually you, know, you would put all of your code into different repositories, but we've been experimenting with putting everything in one repository uh, and using Lerna and other tools to help us manage that. And so far, it's been so much better. It, uh, I think that's going to be the way to go in the future. Nice. All right. Well, um, I'm going to jump in here, I guess, with a couple of picks. So um, this morning, I actually live streamed my first thing to Twitch. Just kind of been playing with that um, using a system called OBS, which I think is open broadcast system or open broadcast software. Anyway, it's open source. It's free. Um, and yeah, you just need your uh, Twitch key from Twitch and then you can stream. And so uh, I just did a quick, I have people keep asking me how I plan out my days and weeks. And so I just did a quick uh, Twitch stream. I had to cut it short cause I had to jump off for a call, but you know, I was just trying it out and I'm, I'm really digging it. So um, yeah, I'm going to pick OBS and Twitch and, uh, yeah, really, really excited about where that goes from here. Um, and yeah, that's all I got. Uh, totally. If people want to find you online, where do they go? Um, so best way, just go to my site, tollycodes.com and there's contact info and all my profiles there. Um, yeah, would love to chat about anything infrastructure. Nice. And that's totally T O L I mm -hmm. codes. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thank you for coming. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this one up and we'll come back at you next week with another story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y.com to learn more.